The scripture this morning is 2 Timothy 2, 1-7. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endear suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. For them, they cannot please the officer who has enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hard-working farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Think about what I am saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. Well, good morning. And I hope that that extra hour of sleep was appreciated and that you are bright and ready and uh, ready to receive from the Lord this morning. It's good to be together, and I want to say uh, uh, good morning to you all. Let's just bow together in prayer. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your presence in this place. That's what we long for, the glory of God to fill this place and to fill our hearts and to touch our lives afresh and anew. Lord, thank you that you, you bend down to hear our prayers uh, and that you listen to us today and you, you know our voice. And Lord, we long to know your voice and to walk with you. So I pray that you would minister this morning. Uh, you know our needs individually. You know the person who walked in <clears throat> with a lonely heart you know the person who walked in with a broken heart. You know the person who walked in with a physical infirmity. You know, Lord, uh, the person who is broken in spirit. And you know, Lord, where we're rejoicing this morning and where we're glad and where we're celebrating. You just know us. We're glad to be known. We're glad that you love us, you hug us, you care for us, you minister to us. And Lord, we just dedicate these next moments to you that you would speak to us and allow each of us to hear what you want us to hear for this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This morning, friends, I, I want to talk with you a little bit about giving our best, uh, even when life is full of challenges. And uh, it could be that's the story of your life right now, that you've got some challenges in your life. And uh, premium living is difficult. Premium living is difficult. Next week, we launch a series of messages that run right through the heart of what we've been saying these past number of months, and that is the theme of seeing what God uh, has been doing at TCC over the past number of years, and then believing powerfully for what God is going to do. Because, you know, God's not finished yet. God's not finished his mission with us yet. God's not finished with what he wants TCC to be involved in yet. God is still prompting us and moving us forward. So the next series is called Just Imagine. And that's going to start uh, next week, November 8th, and run through November the 29th. But today, in preparation, let's just think about giving our best to the call of God. And let's think about uh, premium living, premium living by 
the life of a soldier. And then let's think of premium living by the life of an athlete, and then from the vantage point of a farmer. So there they are, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And those are the illustrations, those are the metaphors that Paul uses. From 1907 to 1970, Harry Houdini, the great escape artist, performed successfully in the United States. He escaped from coffins, handcuffs, chains, jails, and straitjackets. And he did it all in the presence of a live audience. In 1909, he wrote a book called Handcuff Secrets, in which he divulged some of his, uh, his escape artistry. And he said that sometimes by just using properly applied force, he could escape various con con contraptions. And then sometimes he'd use shoestrings or lock pins. Even at will, he was able to regurgitate a small key that he would swallow and just at the right time. He could pop it back up and he'd have it again to unlock a, a padlock, uh, all in the front uh, of, of a live audience. He was a great escape artist. There's a well-known figure in the Bible by the name of Paul, you all know him, uh, who was not an escape artist, but he could be called an endurance artist. He endured a lot. He lived premium-like in the most adverse conditions. He endured chains, he endured handcuffs and jails, he knew what it was like to be in solitary confinement, to be confined by four walls, and to be guarded by soldiers. And he implied that nobody said the Christian life was a bed of roses. And Paul, although he soared in his Christian faith, he certainly endured a lot. And there are times in a Christian life where we kind of have to endure, go through the tough times, and we endure during those times. So if you'd like to dial into the passage that uh, Michelle read for us this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, I'd like to remind you of some things that Paul said about how to live the premium way. And I'm not saying it's easy. It takes the grace of God. In fact, that's pretty much how Paul put it in the very first verse of chapter 2 as he writes to his co-worker and to his apprentice, Timothy. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the what? Be strong through the grace, through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Now, as you know, Paul in this letter was in some ways saying farewell to his dear friend Timothy, his son in the Lord. Paul was aware that probably he wouldn't escape this time around uh, from the sentence of death that was awaiting him. He knew that this would bring a great sense of loss and sorrow to Timothy. And Paul knew that Timothy might even have to walk this road one day himself, the road that Paul was walking. So what do you say to a young man in ministry? What do you say to uh, a fellow that is trying to pastor, uh, as a young pastor, this church in Ephesus? How does Paul come alongside and strengthen Timothy? And I think as I read these words, there's a tenderness in Paul's words. 
So here's Paul's encouragement to Timothy and to us. Number one, take a lesson from a soldier. Take a lesson from a soldier. Paul was obviously observant as he walked the many miles across the countries and as he walked from new church to new church that he'd established and he went back to visit them again. Uh, His was the world of soldiers and athletes and farmers. You know, we we form our metaphors of life from what we observe and we see. And I think one of the reasons I I appreciate my farm background is simply the rich metaphors that abound in agriculture. We illustrate what we're trying to say by forming word pictures that come from the day-to-day routines of life. So when Paul thought of a soldier, he saw a truth in the life of a soldier that he wanted to convey to his younger colleague, Timothy. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He writes, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. What was Paul trying to say to Timothy? What's he trying to say to us as guys, gals, perhaps moms, dads, as students, uh, as career people, as retirees? What is he saying? What, What do you think Paul might be saying to us as a church at this season in our lives? Live well amidst the hardships of life. Live well amidst the hardships of life. Premium living in the midst of difficulties. I don't know if you wanted to hear that. I don't know if I want to hear that. Endure suffering. Endure hardship. Paul writes, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. New International Version. Love the way Eugene Peterson translates it. When the going gets rough, take it on the chin with the rest of us the way Jesus did. A soldier on duty doesn't get caught up in making deals at the marketplace. He concentrates on carrying out orders. New English translation, take your share of suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Seems to me there are a couple of thoughts that Paul wants us to really grapple with. The first is that Premium living will require some sacrifice. Premium living will require some sacrifice. The life of a soldier is not always a comfortable one. You never know when you're going to get the call. I just heard this week that uh, some of the men and women of stationed out in Coal Lake got the call. Not sure where they're off to, but uh, they're going to be deployed uh, now. So they're saying goodbye to family and friends, and they'll be gone for an extended period of time. That's a sacrifice. They give up a lot of things. They sacrifice their own comforts for the hardships that they choose to put up with. They're not in the comfort of their living room at night with the rest of their family. Uh, they're, uh, They're not in their comfortable bed at night. They're off in a barracks somewhere or they're in a tent because because they're saying yes to their commanding officer. And the commanding officer says, I want you to do this. And they do it. They submit to that. They sacrifice some of their own freedom to preserve the freedom of others. 
Premium living will require some sacrifice. And it's true in every area of life. You don't become a strong and significant person without some sacrifice. And it's never a formula, 10 steps to success and you suddenly arrive. You never arrive by doing what is comfortable. You become the best you can be by committing yourself to something greater than yourself and by being willing to sacrifice for that. It's clear to me as I look back over the years that uh, a lot of people were willing to look beyond themselves as TCC became a vital part of this community over the last 12 years. There was some heavy lifting that's gone on through the years. But because it was done in a spirit of generosity, at least to me, it never seemed overwhelming. I saw a congregation enjoying their role as soldiers. Because somehow when you're giving your best, the barracks don't seem too bad. Somehow when you're giving your best for a greater cause, the tent and the hard bed is doable. Because you see the vision. You see what it's all about. And you're willing to bring your best to that. Story has circulated of Admiral Hyman Rickhover, who was the father of America's Naval Nuclear Navy. He was a genius. He was recruiting young grads from the Naval Academy, cadets that had just graduated to have the privilege of serving on a nuclear submarine. And so there was one young man who came in and he sat down and he wrote this story later and it became a famous story. He said, the admiral just let me talk for two hours. So I talked about anything that I wanted to talk about for two hours. I had the floor. He said, I was really just trying to show off my intelligence. And then the admiral began to ask a series of questions which slowly dawned on me that I really knew nothing about what I just talked about for the last couple of hours. It was very, very humbling. And he said, right before I left our two-hour conversation, Admiral Rickover asked me a very poignant question. It was this. When you were in school, and in all of your previous life up to this date, did you always do your best? Did you always do your best? And the young man said, I started to say, yes, of course. Then I realized, that's not truthful. No, he said, I, I, I didn't. I was honest. He said, no, I didn't do my best all the time. And he said, Admiral Rickover leaned over the desk, looked at me with piercing eyes, and he said, why not? Why not? And then he just sat there and he waited for my response. You know how uncomfortable that is when you've got to respond to somebody. Why not? The best. And he said, that question began to burn in my heart. It began to be the turning point in my life. The man who was that young cadet later became the 39th president of the United States of America. And his name was Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. And when he wrote his biography, it was called, Why Not the Best? Why Not the Best? 
He said, it still haunts me, that question. Am I truly giving my best? Am I truly giving my best? And it's a good question for me, personally. I, I hope it's a good question for you, too. And it's a good question for us as a church. It's a good question for us as a church. I think we have to ask and be honest to ask that question. We could saunter. We could coast. We could walk. We could meander. But the question that would, we would, would haunt us is, are we giving our best? Are we giving our best to our youth? Are we giving our best to international ministry? Are we giving our best to our community, internal and external? Are we giving our best to making disciples? Are we giving our best to do what we can do to replicate something of what we have here somewhere else in neighboring communities so that others can find Jesus Christ as their friend and their savior and their leader of life? We could coast, I, I guess. We could say, well, why the effort of the Just Imagine initiative that's coming up. We're fine. We're fine. But one day we might be asked the question, did you give your best? Did you give your best? When you sacrifice for the kingdom, it's powerful because it's, it's only the kingdom that will last. Sometimes you lose sleep because you're helping other people. That's awesome. And although it's a sacrifice, it's actually a joy. Sometimes you spend some of your money because you're helping other people. Sometimes you're short on energy and time for yourself because you've been reaching out for others. It might be a sacrifice, but it's wonderful. Premium living will require some sacrifice. Secondly, premium living will require some focus. Some focus. Paul put it this way. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the, the officer who enlisted them. A soldier, I've never been in the army, but I know, a soldier has a huge allegiance to his or her commanding officer. They trust them, they obey them, they're committed to them. And if a soldier is distracted has other things on the go, a little bit of soldiering here, a little bit of civilian life here, a little time for me here, another job on the side, just all kind of convoluted. It doesn't work. Nobody's happy, and if your commanding officer's not happy, nobody's happy. There's no one we want to please more than our commanding officer, Jesus Christ, our leader. We were thinking about that this week in staff, and, and we watched a leadership video, uh, and the point was made, organizations that are growing are laser-focused. Organizations that are growing are laser-focused. Every organization has to ask the question, what can you be the best at? What can you do that nobody else is doing and therefore it makes your organization unique or it makes your ministry unique? And what are you doing that you need to stop doing so you can do the best so you can be focused? I don't know. Can you make that personal for your life? What do you need to stop doing that is good, it's good, 
but it's not the best. I mean, every family has to constantly look at their schedule and say, wow, this is a well-oiled family. We, we're hitting on all the cylinders. It works well. Or we have to ask, what are we doing to ourselves? This is a dangerous treadmill. We are spread all over the map. Do you have influence in the organization that you're part of? Does it apply somewhere in your family? We're scattered, we're distracted. Does it have implications for your journey with Christ? I'm all over the map. What is really important in your journey with Christ? Where do I need to let some things go here and, and focus? What is distracting me? And will this, what I'm doing, matter five years from now? How much of my money is being spent in things that will have little eternal significance? Premium living will require focus. And then as Paul talks to Timothy, he says, really, take a lesson from an athlete. Take a lesson, first of all, from a soldier, but take a lesson from an athlete. Can you think of the variety of uh, illustrations that Paul uses in his writings when referring to sports? I mean, wouldn't he have a great time in October and November just watching all the sports that's in front of us and drawing metaphors? But he, uh, in the scriptures, talks about wrestling and boxing and running and exercising, and he has a lot of different verses that relate to those uh, metaphors of life. The Greeks and the Romans were enthusiastic about their sports. The Olympic and Isminian games were important events to them. So here's what Paul very intentionally said to Timothy. He said, and athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. So a couple of things. First of all, the priority is to win. The priority is to win. And athletes cannot win unless. So there's a priority to win. I mean, that's why you compete. You compete to win. It's an intentional thing. It's the priority of giving your best in order to win, to have a goal, to bring home the prize. And that's what athletes all about are all about. They work hard. They... Uh, just to have that trophy that they hold in their hands or to have that medallion, a gold medal around their neck. Countless hours, week after week, month after month, year after year, practicing, training. It's incredibly difficult. But you won't become the best woman you could become or the best man you could become without intensity, without intentionality, without a plan, and without discomfort. You know, the difference between first and second place in an athletic event is sometimes very slim. And sometimes it's not always a matter of talent. As the fable of the tortoise and the hare, remember that old fable? It's not always uh, who you would expect to win. A less gifted athlete often surpasses another who is 
physically superior, more experience, simply by having greater de determination and greater persistence. So a writer gave this little story that I read this week. He said he was watching a decathlon between uh, the United States and Poland and Russia. And he said, I asked a friend who was coaching the American team to identify, look at all these athletes out there. And he said, I'd, I want you to tell me who's the best athlete in your opinion among all these competitors. He said, that's easy. He pointed to a slender young man at the back, strong, slender young guy. And he said, he's the best. He's the best of the bunch. I said to him, do you think he'll win today? Surprisingly, he answered, no. When I asked why, he said, he pointed to another athlete over here and he said, he's going to win because he has the greatest determination. He has the strongest will to win. He is the most mentally tough competitor that I've ever seen. And sure enough, he did win that day. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, In a race, everyone runs, but only one person wins the prize. So run your race to win. Let's circle that. Run your race, run your race to win. Who are we competing against in our journey, in our race? We're not competing against one another. Our com competition is against our fleshly old self. Our competition is against the world and, and Satan and all who serve him, Satan. And, and it's not a casual race. It's not some days we're in the race, some days we're out of the race. We're in, we're out, we're in, we're out. No, it's an intentional, focused race, a marathon probably the best word. It's a marathon. It's day after day after day after day. Friends, you know what's inspiring to me? Christians who finish their lives growing and still serving. Still serving. What's impressive to me is young adults who keep themselves for their marriage partner amidst the incredible temptations of this world. Wow. Leaders who stay passionate about ministry until their last breath. And followers of Christ who weather the rough patches of life and remain joyful priority is to win. Then the priority is to follow the rules. The rules were upheld in the time of Paul. I mean, if, if you wanted to officially compete, you had to have your check-in. I don't think they had drug testing back in that day, but they had some clauses that you had to abide by. They wanted to know where you were born. They wanted to know something about your competitive history. They wanted to know that you had prepared at least 10 months in advance for the games. And you had to agree to compete within the rules for any given event. 
And those were some of the rules. And we have some rules also. They're not legalism. They're building blocks. First, to come to know Christ. That's the, that's the first building block. And second, to follow in the waters of baptism. To say, it's, this is not private. This is public. And publicly announce that Jesus is Lord of my life. So we start with a faith in Christ and we follow it immediately by baptism. And then to be faithful to dig into the word and to absorb the richness of God speaking to us through his word and to grow in prayer and to grow in hearing his voice. Those are disciplines within the faith that call for our best. And they aren't a breeze like, oh, I got that. They're not a breeze. They take effort and stamina. And sometimes we're discouraged and disappointed with ourselves. And then we kind of get back on the conveyor belt again and keep walking. There's a poster that says the pain of regret is always greater than the pain of discipline. And that grabs my attention. The pain of regret is always greater than the pain of discipline. I mean, how would your life be better if you'd been just a little more focused? My brother uh, uh, reached his 40th birthday uh, quite a few years ago now and realized that he wasn't giving his best to God. In fact, he wasn't giving anything to God. In fact, he was very far from God. And uh, he's a farmer, truck driver. Uh, he was hauling a big load of barley one day down to Lethbridge and coming back, and he had a pup trailer behind him. And, um, it overturned. And, and Jesus sort of arrested him that day. And Ron surrendered his life. He began to realize. He began to realize that he had wasted. Many years of his life. And he came across this verse in the prophet Joel that he kind of claimed as his own and where the Lord says, I'll give you back what you've lost to the swarming locusts. In other words, the locusts of life had pretty much taken over his life. But the Lord gave Ron an assurance that the past was behind and he wanted him to go forward and he would restore those years just like he does for all of us. Just like he does for all of us. And it was fuel for Ron, and with great abandon, he left behind the priorities of the old life, and he embraced Jesus Christ. And his friends were so amazed and astonished that they said, what happened to Ron? He's just different. And God has used him through these years. And I want to say this morning, our strength is not in our strong will. I don't want you to to hear that, that we just got to be strong enough. I, I want you to hear that the strength is in the Lord. And when we intentionally walk with him and experience his presence, we have that grace that was mentioned in the first verse to continue and to grow. Well, then there's the lesson from a farmer. 
Remember, these are the words of Paul to Timothy, and, and Timothy is being tutored in, by his father in the faith. So, uh, the lesson from a farmer. And hardworking farmers should be the first who enjoy the fruit of their labor. 2 Timothy 2.6 The farmer should be able to provide for his life and his or her needs by the harvest of their crops. They should be able to make their own living that way. And perhaps Paul is saying, you will make a life for yourself, you personally, will experience the joy of knowing that you have been a blessing to someone else. Your words, your ministry, your actions, so that you too receive a blessing, a great blessing. And farmers are hardworking. They sweat and toil to the point of exhaustion. They start early, they work late, and when the time comes to plant, they must plant, and they can't delay. And when the weeds come, they have to figure out how to get rid of those weeds. And when it's time to harvest, everything takes a back seat. Actually, it's harvest time that makes the farmer work so hard. And I remember around our house when it was harvest time, it was like everything else was on hold. Probably the meals were served out in the fields because that's just how precious time was. It's all about the harvest. But when it's not harvest time, most of the farmers' working hours are kind of tedious, a bit humdrum, and unexciting. And perhaps Paul is saying that to us as well. A lot of life is just hanging in there, just staying committed. It's not always one exciting adventure after another, but it is facing the ordinariness of life and being committed to Jesus and to doing the right thing. We may feel like life is difficult, the job is not what we expect, or it's disappointing because we feel misunderstood, life is difficult, and maybe like the farmer, we even feel isolated at times. And yet we walk forward, like the farmer, to move past the pain and the loss and experience Jesus in the midst of it all. So lessons from a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Undoubtedly, our greatest example of premier living is the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Because of the joy awaiting him, he, Jesus, endured the cross, disregarding its shame. He endured the cross. He kept going. The message version is quite expressive. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside of God. We're thankful that he never lost sight of his mission. We're thankful that he looked forward to when he could say, it is finished. Amen.